time with I will God. spend time with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Let's talk, Jesus. We love you. And we would rather be a people connected to you, connected to each other, connected to a mission, than squandering our lives, wasting it on ourselves and on our own pleasures and on our own wants. And the humanism of the day and the narcissism of the day and the materialism of the day dominating our desires. But Jesus, we ask that you would help us because we live in a war zone and it's so easy to allow those things to infiltrate our heart. And we ask that tonight you would help us, God, that you would realign us, refocus us, help us, Lord Jesus, to be the tribe, the people, the church, the community, the body, the bride that you've called us to be. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. And the whole Furnace Tribe yelled, amen. Amen. Each one of us are part of the church. You are the church. A church is not a building, and you know that, but you are the church. The, 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 The church has been advancing since the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven. And, and, and I think when, when I look at what God has called a church to be, I think there's a very distinct element that you and I are going to play a key role in in helping in this church, in our church, at New Life Church, right here in Colorado Springs. And God's doing a very, very exciting thing. And, but I, when, when you think of church, I want you to think of what makes a church dynamic. In other words, what would, what would impress Jesus? Obviously, we live in a world where you have all kinds of church. You have big church. Uh, you have churches like this one that, are, that is big. And, and is that distinctive something that is uniquely impressive to God? I don't know. I think that Jesus wants us to win the lost. I'm not sure that uh, it matters necessarily how many people assemble in one building. But I do believe that uh, we're to go to advance. But I'm not necessarily sure that, that there's something all that distinctive and wonderful about if it's big or if it's small. I think that both can be missional and mo- both can be filled with God and both can matter and make a massive difference. I think we hear a lot about being a relevant church, and and I think that's good. I think that there's an emphasis on um, being able to relate to culture, but I don't think that that's the core. I don't think that that's a hub. I don't think that if if we were to have a conversation with Jesus, that Jesus would necessarily look at the church today and say the number one thing that I want as a key distinctive is that understanding of cultural relevance. While it's a good thing, I don't think it's the core. I don't think it's the primary thing. I think that you can have people that are culturally irrelevant making a pretty massive difference, a la the example I gave on our mission trip a moment ago. Or uh, you have today, you have the most dynamic youth pastors in America. Many of them, uh, one of the most dynamic is a is 60-year-old woman, you know, that is very, very, very a lot older than teenagers, but because of the fact that she's filled with the power of God. She's a dynamic leader. So I don't necessarily think that it's necessarily, it would be something that Jesus would look at and go, yeah, the core distinctive is I want relevance. Man, it's a good thing, but I don't know that's the core. I don't know that it's the thing that would most impress him. I don't know, maybe, I don't know that it would be an efficient church. I think I go to, I hear a lot about church conferences and things about how to do good systems and how to, you know, really try to handle everything well and and, and I think that that would be good. I'm not sure it would be the core. I mean, I'm sure Jesus wants, you know, a lot of people with, uh, you know, Excel open and pleats doing, being efficient, and that's cool. But, but I don't think that that's necessarily something that would, if Jesus were here today, look at and say, that, that distinctive is the core. That distinctive is the big deal. I don't know if it would be a busy church that's out doing a whole lot of things. I think that would be, again, a good thing. 
But at my core, if we were to really be honest and real about what I think is the thing that fuels a church to be dynamic, to be a living expression of Christ on the earth today, my conviction is that if we were to look at Jesus and ask him, I believe at my core, more than big church, efficient church, or any of those things, it would be this. I believe it's a praying church. Because when you look at a praying church, a praying church is dependent on God. A praying church is saying, hey, we may be efficient, we may be relevant, we may be big, we may be small, we may be dynamic, we may not be dynamic. But here's the bottom line is this. It's not about us, it's about you. And the very nature of prayer is a statement of saying, I'm dependent on God. And this church thing really isn't about me, this church thing is about you. And the demonstration of how I prove that with my life is that I'm a man of prayer, I'm a person of prayer. And when I'm talking church, I don't want you to picture buildings, I don't want you to picture even necessarily autonomous communities of people. I want you to picture you. I want you to picture your life, your heart. And Jesus said that zeal for his house has consumed him. And he said this place in John 2, 17 is to be a house of prayer. He's, he's not talking about, hey, we're supposed to necessarily, that it's all about building the building that is dedicated unto prayer. No, he's talking about here, the, the church. He's talking about the people. It's in the heart of the people. It's in the heart of the person. It's in the heart, in the heart of the community of Christ. That is to be the house of prayer. You are to be a house of prayer. We, the furnace, are to be a house of prayer. And so when I think about Jesus wanting a church that's dynamic and powerful and effective, without a doubt, you believe this and I believe this, that the key element that makes all the other elements work, when there's prayer in the house, when there's prayer, you can be really, really, really socially awkward and yet have power. Seriously, I mean, you can not grow your hair over your ears, not wear bow bottoms, not shop at the buckle, and you can still have an effect on North America if you have a life in God. You cannot be big, and I'm not talking about height, I'm talking about the size of the church. You can be literally a small church, and if you have power, if there's prayer at the center, you can be missional, you cannot have the best building, you can have no building, and be powerful, and fulfill what God's called you to do. You could have literally, and I know this sounds funny, you could, you could have very limited ministries. You could not have, I mean, the, you could not have the women's ministry and the children's ministry and the, 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 the soup ministry and the, all these different things. You could not have even a system. I'm talking no efficiency, but you've got the power and the presence of God in your midst and you can guarantee that people will be attracted to it and you will be successful like Jesus called us to be successful. No doubt, we want all the other things. No doubt. I'm not saying that I don't, we don't want to reach, you know, that we don't want to bring people in. I'm not saying we don't want efficiency. But what I am saying is that at the core of the church that Jesus would call winning, it would be a praying church. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. Let's look at the early church. Now, this is going to feel like a lot of Bible, but everybody raise your right hand and say this. I like the Bible. I eat the Bible. I read the Bible. Now, pick up your Bible. Pick it up. There it is. Just go ahead and put it in your mouth. Just put it in your mouth. And just say, I like this. And, ah, eat it. There you go. It's your daily bread. Come on, I want you to eat it. Put your Bible in your mouth and say, I like this. Can you do it? All right. Some of you are too cool. All right. Some of you are really, really cool and you did it. And that is relevant. But I want us just to look at the Bible for a minute because obviously you and I know that our first example of what a praying church would look like would be where? The early church. Be the first church. Be the early church, right? So 
You and I know, just go ahead, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to go through quite a bit of Bible here, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But what marked the early church? What marked it? I mean, what was the distinctive that marked it? What was that? And, I, and I know that there's many distinctives, but what's the dynamic distinctive? What's the distinctive that moves us? In the sense that some people say, hey, well, I'll tell you about the early church. The early church ate together. They broke bread together. Well, yeah, that's cool, but you know what? They, they, pagans still break bread together. You know, like it's, it's not necessarily a distinctive that makes it super, super unique and dynamic. I like it. Don't get me wrong. And I think it's an additional good thing. But the guys, you know, down at Buffalo Wild Wings tonight are breaking bread together hanging out together, eating together, that may be totally pagan. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So I think it's cool that that's it, but I don't know that that's what we're looking for. Or you could say, well, they met in, they met in, in churches. That was the thing of the apostolic church. That was the, like, yeah, and that's cool, but a lot of that was due to the fact that they didn't have buildings. You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily so that, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a place at the, at the moment. So that's a cool thing, but I wouldn't say it's the core thing. I think a lot of people, when they think of the early church, they think of that. They think it's very easy to think of breaking bread in houses. And those are fine secondary items. But I think there's a primary one that marked the church. You know what it is. I've already said it. And I'm going to say it a million times tonight. It's that they prayed. Let's talk about it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know the story. Jesus looks at his disciples. He's about to ascend from heaven. I sent to heaven, and he says, you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? Then you know the story. He ascends to heaven, right? He ascends to heaven, and then an angel shows up and says, why are you staring into the sky? Then verse 12, kind of interesting. What's the first thing they do? They walk back into the city, and then verse 14, here it is. The disciples, these are the disciples that hung out with Jesus. First thing they do is they go back into the city and they start saying, hey, bro, you know what? We need to really like work on our clothes and, you know, put some hair over our ears and shave and get a goatee and, you know, start learning, you know, some different language. No. Yeah, I was looking at you trying to figure out how I wanted to talk about being relevant. <laughs> CJ's like, yeah. No, here it is. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and and Mary, and the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The disciples, those that believed, they got together, upper room, they prayed. That's what they did. Acts 1, 24, let's keep going. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you have chosen. So Judas has obviously been the deceiver, the betrayer. And they got to replace him. So they look good at the resume. No, here it is. Pray. God, show us. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That one gets talked about all the time. All the time I hear that one. All the time. Well, tell me about the apostles. What do you think? They, well, the dude, they broke bread together. <laughs> anyway. And to prayer. Boom. There's like the, that's like the big one, you know. Like, that, that would be like in our context, you know, they, they, they ate chips and salsa together and they prayed. That's the big one. Yes, they hung out together, but the nature of why they hung out together, if someone came to our meeting, if they walked away saying, let me tell you about what the furnace is, you know, when they get together, here's what they do. They drink coffee together and pray. We would, we would not want the expression to be, drink coffee together and pray. No, we would say, no, the thing that we want to mark us, and when you look at what we're doing, it is, they drink coffee together and pray. Are you with me? That's the big deal. 
Acts 3.1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Interesting. At 3 in the afternoon. Daily 3 o'clock prayer meeting in the temple. Aye, aye, aye. What do you know? We didn't make it up. Acts 4.24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Acts 4.31. After they, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We're only in Acts 4. We've got a lot of prayer going on. Acts 6, verse 4. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is an interesting part. This is where the uh, disciples are so, building the, are so building the church. They're starting to serve and a lot of things are happening. And they have to pull back, rework their job description. Why? Because they don't want to give up on ministering to the word and prayer. So not only is it just something they do because they're desperate, but they actually organize it. Acts 6, 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Acts 8, 15. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. A lot of Bible. Should we keep going? Acts 8, 22. Here they are witnessing, repent of the wickedness and pray to the Lord. Not only are they doing it, now they're demanding it. Acts 8.24, then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He goes, listen, I know the way I need help. Pray. Acts 9.11, the Lord told them, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, different Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one that betrayed Jesus and then killed himself with 30 pieces of silver. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, because Saul had just met Jesus. And what's the first thing Saul's doing? He's blind. He's hurting. He's met Jesus on the road. It's a hard day. Fish scales are about to come out of his eyes. And what is he doing? He's twiddling his thumbs, waiting. No. He immediately, immediately went and started preaching. No. He's waiting for you, Ananias. What? He's praying. Saul, the barely saved guy. Only been saved not very long, like three days. What's he doing? He's praying. Acts 9.40. Peter sent them out to the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Peter, that's lots of praying. Turning toward the dead woman, he, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Cornelius here, Acts chapter 10. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God. Oh, and I love this word. Regularly. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he broke bread. No. And he pursued relevance in the culture. No. And he gave himself to watching movies so that he could talk the language of the culture. Regularly. No. What was the dominant thing? An evidence of the work of God in his life? Pray to God regularly. Acts 10, 5. Then the, the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That's Cornelius again. Acts 10, 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof. Hang out. Dudes. 
Let's strategize. Dudes, let's chill some more. No, you know it. You know it well. Peter went up on the roof to pray. Do you see a consistent thing in early church? I'm just looking at it. I'm just looking at the people that we look at and we go, hey, we want to do the thing that expanded the gospel so rapidly in the early part of Christianity. Prayer is playing playing a pretty dominant role here. Acts 10.31. Acts 10.30. Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. This is kind of like Daniel in Daniel 10, 12. I was just praying and something happened. Why? Well, because I was sovereignly selected before God, before the foundations of the world. And it didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter at all. What mattered was that I was just there. No. Something happened. Why? Because he was praying. Are you with me? Acts 10, 31. Here's what they said. Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. Cornelius, hey, we just liked your name, Corny, and we just thought we wanted to come to you because it's going to be a best-selling, going to the best-selling Bible one day. We didn't know who else to come to, so we came to you. Wrong. Why was Cornelius selected? His name? No. His position? No. God has heard your prayer. Acts 11.5. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. I saw a vision. It's when visions come, dreams and visions come. You and I know Acts 2. We know that it says young men will dream dreams and old men will see visions, right? A lot of times we think, yeah, I don't know if that really happens. Start praying. Let's just see. Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly waiting for a good report. No. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was fearful. The church was picketing the jailer. The church was planning an attack with swords and spears to get him out. The church was trying to get legislation passed to change the way that the prison worked. Hear me? But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Acts 12, 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of, Jesus, of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were eating. Praying. Praying. Acts 13, 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with fasting and prayer, committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. That's Acts 14. There's 28 chapters. Should we keep going? Let's call it a day. Just trust me. It's there. It's there. The early church, the thing that's dynamic. Oh, I'm sure Peter was cool. I I mean, not really sure, but I'll bet he was cool. I'll bet he was relevant. I'll bet there were some efficient disciples. I'll bet. I'll I'll just bet there were some strategic minds that could strategize. I'll just bet there were some people that had giftings to be used. But you want to know the thing that marked them? 
You want a thing that was dynamically clear? We just went through all of those verses. 14 chapters over and over and over again. Keep going. You can read all the way through 28. It keeps coming. It just keeps coming at you. Just over and over and over again. The early church was a people of prayer. Period. Out of that, as a hub, out of that you can have dynamic things happening. But that is the predominant discipline. That's the predominant power source of the early church. What about the historical church? You know, like, 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 let's look further back, or after that, a little bit further. Just look. Look down through the ages. Look at church history. Where there's a prayer source, there's a power source. There's a prayer source. God uses people to become missional and missionaries and evangelism. And so we can strategize all day long and write a whole lot of books. We can blog a lot of big ideas. We can talk about life skills till we're blue in the face. Because for some reason, that's a cool way to talk. Here's a life skill. Shut up. Let's talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's a life skill. Man, yeah. All right, let's, let's just talk the way Jesus talks. Look throughout history. You've heard me talk about the Moravians over and over again. Seen it on far too many videos. Look at Martin Luther. Martin Luther, man, that guy was smart. Yeah, he was smart. Martin Luther, man, he was bold. He was dynamic. Martin Luther, man, he wrote. You know what was the core? Martin Luther said this, with all that I must do today... I cannot but pray for at least two hours. So you can say, well, he had a dynamic personality or he came in just the right season of history. Or he was really brilliant and, you know, it takes a really good writer to write those 95 theses. And maybe he was a good carpenter if he was going to nail him to the door. <laughs> Talk about life skills all day long. But I'll tell you the key in Martin Luther's life that led to a great reformation when he was a man of prayer. We know it to be true. Jonathan Edwards, leader of the Great Awakening. Churches in the Great Awakening would pray every night. John Wesley, also a leader in the Great Awakening, rose at 4 a.m. to pray. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher in Britain. You know, you've loved him and known him and quoted him. And we've thought of him mostly as the dynamic preacher. You know, the great oratory skills. But you know, when Charles Spurgeon had people that would come and visit his church, do you know where he would take them first? He would take them down to the basement where the people were praying. And he called it their powerhouse. I know that sounds 1980s, but this was actually like a few hundred years ago. He called it the powerhouse. This is, this is the power source. Every Monday night, Charles Spurgeon, in his era, their church, Monday night, people flooded the church to pray. And in the basement, the other nights, had people in prayer. That was Spurgeon's era. Spurgeon said that the, the, the prayer meeting is the thermometer of the church. When the prayer goes up, you know it's hot. But you want to test where the church is at? Look at the level, the passion, the urgency. The sustained urgency down through the years in prayer. That's what matters. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist. Many of you have read his books, especially uh, when revival tarries. 
The Cinderella of the church is the prayer meeting. We all know it to be true. We know it marks the early church. And I'll tell you, we can look at the early church and we can look at the moment where Peter, you know, preaches and 3,000 get saved. Cool moment. But you know where it started? It started up in an upper room praying on their face before God. In fact, Jesus' first thing, I always hear this all the time, Jesus' last words. You know? Jesus' last words was about going. Jesus' last words was about praying. Ah! After the Great Commission, he said, but go, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go to Jerusalem. Go, wait on God. That's how you're going to go and be a difference in the world. Go, here's the directive. Go wait. But in our culture, you don't get any attaboys for going and sitting in a prayer room. The attaboys come when you're like, dude, I got a degree in this, and now I'm going to go be this, like, you know, journalist for Jesus. And I'm never really, like, wanting to one to the Lord or anything, but, you know, I'm, like, I'm, I'm blogging for God now. Friends, let me tell you something. I'll, I'll blog away, but don't forsake burning heart. Don't forsake being the man or the woman of prayer that he's called us to be. That's the thing that gave Peter the power. Peter was, Peter was a pretty average guy without the power of God. Just, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. You know? Peter was not... Peter, it, it took God. Peter was about, you know, in moments he, his discernment gift was off. When Peter pulls out the sword to try to take out the guy, he wasn't trying to cut off his ear. And then we think that we hear that Bible story and we think, you know, Peter had a fascination with ears and he was just like, oh yeah, I'll cut off your ear, you know? <laughs> no, that, no, no, he missed. He, he was trying to kill the guy. Peter, I mean, and Jesus is like, Peter, calm down. I like people. Like him, I'm dying for people here. Let's not kill him. But the man who stood up in Acts 2 just left a prayer meeting. Jesus just breathed on, received the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a guy that, apart from the move of God in him, isn't that unique. But with it is dynamic. Go to the power source. About the present church. Early church. We look through Acts. It's there. Historical church, for sure. And, you know, I talk about three different people over 2,000 years. It's kind of hard to talk about the whole church. about the present church? Greatest revivals in the world today coming from South Korea. They have prayer mountains, have 24-hour prayer going. You know, everybody like, loves to talk about Cho's church because it's so big. How do you do small groups? You got, like... 500,000 people there, like, dude, how many deacons you got? And how do you have a Christmas party? You know, like, you want to know what the real question is? Here, how, how did you start prayer on our face before God? In the center of that church, it's 24 hour a day prayer. People crying out to God. That's how there's a massive evangelism outbreak. You can look straight at the church today. Churches in China, Africa. 
where there's dynamic church, where there's distinctive that Jesus smiles at, there's prayer at the center. Why? Is it, because, is it, is it just because it's the spiritual discipline that, that we just ought to do and it's just the mother of all disciplines? No. It's the ultimate statement of it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our gifting. It's not about our skill level. It's not about our website. It's not about what we got. It's not about our history. It's not about our future. It's not about our present. It's not about our pastors. It's not about our people. It's about you. And without you, we're hosed, God. And with you, we're everything. That's the ultimate center. That's what God wants to hear. In 2003, we took the furnace to India, and it was just a great moment for me because we'd gone to so many different churches, and some of them were doing well, but we went to one at the end, and it was really doing well. I mean, we're talking like there was, uh, it was focused on reaching children. When we arrived, there was children literally up the stairs in the living room, up on, up, up on top of the house, down, like trying to get in throughout, through the alleyway. And I'll never forget, it was 100 and some degrees, and you got, you know, Josh Finger, like, trying to, like, pretend like he's doing a, he's doing a skit where he's the devil, and, you know, and we're like, <clears throat> which was funny, and, uh, and we're trying to, you know, be a part of this, 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 this church and help them, but they're doing so wonderfully. And I just saw such a powerful move of God. I, I talked to the, the two pastors afterwards, two girls, both 25 years old, and, uh, I said, you know, we've been visiting a whole lot of churches while we've been here, but there's been one, this church has a very distinct difference. It's, it's magnetic. It's powerful. I mean, you guys are really, really seeing God move. Tell me the secret. And I'll never forget the girl. She said, well, she said, um, we both were educated in Bombay and we came to New Delhi to start this church. And she said, it was, it was hard for us because we both received college degrees and in our culture that's... That's, that's, that's difficult, and, and we were gonna, you know, we're going to be prominent in, in, in getting good business, or business jobs in Bombay. She said, but we felt like the Lord led us to come back here and work with the children in this difficult area here in New Delhi. She said, for a year, we gave all of our creative efforts. For a year, we've, we, we just worked hard, and we went door to door, and we talked to people, and we tried to gather kids and we just tried to do it and we started these different ministries, these different outreaches to try to outreach to kids. She said, but after a year we were barren, we were burnt out, we didn't have any kids coming. And so out of a state of desperation, she said, we gave ourselves to 40 days of prayer and fasting. And she said, after 40 days of prayer and fasting, I, she goes, we kept doing the same old things we were doing, but God began to move. To this day, she says, prayer is the center of what we do. And that's the secret. That's the center. I think if you look today, even in America, most people say, most sermons I hear about, God's doing nothing in America. I don't know that that's true. I, I, I mean, I know that there's some pretty dynamic churches in America. I think God's doing some pretty cool things. Sure, they could be more. And sure, we see some other examples overseas that are dynamic. But I'll tell you this. I think a pretty cool thing's happening in Brooklyn. <laughs> You know, in the Brooklyn Tabernacle where they're reaching people. And little, little tiny church is reaching really broken people. Of course, you know that story. That whole church is centered around a Tuesday night prayer meeting. I, I think that what God's doing at IHOP in Kansas City is pretty dynamic and pretty real. You know where that started? It started in prayer. It's happening in prayer. 
I think God is doing things in the present tense today. Yes, around the world, but I think even here in America, but I think it hinges upon this. Will my people, will call by my name, will they humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways? And if they will, man, I'll hear from heaven. I, love, I want to forgive their sin. Heal their land. That's not like saying, I want to heal their land. Don't picture like a band aid on the earth. I want you to picture restoration, the kingdom of God on the earth. I'll do stuff in their midst. About the future church. Where's this thing going? You know, in Revelation 22, do you know what the final confession of the church will be? Come, Lord Jesus, come. In holy expectation, awaiting a day where Jesus returns to the earth to set up his kingdom on planet earth, that is where the church is going. So when you look at the church, when Jesus is coming back for a church, with the, with the premier distinctive that he decides to put as the last distinctive in the book of the Bible, in, in, in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the key distinctive is not that they're cool. Don't get me wrong, I am very cool and I want to stay that way. <laughs> it's not that they're smart. It's not that they're educated. It's not even what they're doing in terms of their practical service. Do you know in Revelation 22 the final example of what the church looks like? It's a praying church saying, come Lord Jesus, we need God in our midst. We need Jesus on the earth. We need Jesus. Jesus. We can't reach the city by ourselves. We need Jesus. Jesus, we can't help the hurting. We need Jesus. Jesus, we can't clothe every... Jesus, we can't evangelize the whole world. Jesus, we can't do... We need God, our own strength. We're broken and we're or unable and we're burnt out. But with Jesus, all is well. And the future church is not a broken down church. It's not beat up. We don't just kind of hold on, marinate on earth, try to stay saved. No, there will be a victorious people crying out to God, come Lord Jesus, just read Revelation 22. When he comes, there are people that have in their heart a united cry, come. We want you. We figured it out. Earth does not have it. Earth doesn't got nothing. God, you are all. We are small. You are everything. That is the final confession. That is where the mature church ends up. The mature church does not end up saying, we got new strategies. We got a bigger building. We got a better website where you just, you can, you can buy the salvation for 20 bucks. We, we got a website where you can go, you can see stuff and you, can, you don't even have to come here. You can just, it just makes you saved. I don't know. It's none of that. I sit and I hear all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you, it's this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And the spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit and the bride, the bride of Christ, that's us. The church, cry, come, come. We have expectation and eagerness, desire. That's the future church. That's where it's going. So my request of you tonight is to think about, in context of the early church, of the historical church, present church, future church. Tonight, I want this tribe to think about our church. Right here.
right now, today, not five years from now. I'm talking now. I'm talking right now about our church. One of my heroes is a guy named Charles Finney. And he said, uh, one individual in a church possessing the spirit of prayer often arouses the whole church, spreading the same spirit and ushering in revival. What happens when a hundred people have a spirit of prayer? What happens when a hundred furnaceites possess the spirit of prayer? Is it usher in revival? Could it? I don't know what I, I don't know what revival means in your brain when you hear that. But all it means is this, new life. I'm not talking about historical, you know, some kind of revival they saw in the 1800s and then, or, or something in the 1900s or, or something in the 1500s. I'm not talking about, there's no, there's, no, there's no formula. It's just this, God in our midst. That's revival. That's old life becoming new. An old thing becoming new again. The move of God, the power of God presence of God, the spirit of God, the heart of God, God with us, among us, Emmanuel, now, here, now. Oh, there's going to be a revival one day. I can guarantee you, the day that Jesus returns to the earth and he sets up his kingdom on planet earth, that's going to be a revival. The day that Satan gets thrown down... (laughs) And all of a sudden, you and I rule and reign with him forever and ever. Oh, that's going to be a revival. That's going to be a good day. That's going to be a day where it's going to be Ali Ali all set free. Ha ha, yeah, we win. That's going to be a that, revival. No matter how you term it, revival's coming. Revival's coming because Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, new life is on its way. Fresh life is on its way. I believe that the Lord is going to use this as a group of people to spearhead a move of God, this tribe. We've been saying it for years. I remember looking at, you know, praying with Shobi's older brother, a bunch of kids. We just began to pray and said, you know what, God could actually, we could reach reach some teenagers. If we just pray, God will do it. We'll just pray. There'll be some stuff that happens. We don't know what it looks like. I remember those days. I remember those days that it's kind of hard. It's difficult. And sometimes in the very essence of faith, when is, it's when you can't see anything. But tonight, I want to ask you and invite you to shoulder with me a vision of a tribe of people to see God move and a revival in this church. A revival among this 10,000 Congregants here. I don't know what it looks like. I'm not talking about church services that you invite your friends to every Thursday night. I'm not talking about, you know, old-fashioned Great Awakening preachers. I'm not talking about people falling down in meetings. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know God. Could look like awesome, awesome salvations. It could look like a resurgence of 24 hour prayer. It could look like worship meetings that go late into the night. It could look like teenagers getting healed. It could look, it could look like, you know, the blind singing. It could look like, 
It could look like 50% of this congregation giving in crazy ways to, 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 to reach the world. I don't know, but I know this. If there's a spirit of prayer on a tribe of people, a group of people, I mean, Finney said it on one, how much more on us? How much more? It's on Kevin Gavro and me and you and Nick. What if? I'm just saying. I don't know. But I want to see. I want to find out. We want to give ourselves to it. We want to see what that move of God, let's call it what Finney called it, revival. I want to see it. I want to see what God will do. Let's ask. James said you don't have because you don't ask. Can you imagine the brother of Jesus? (laughs) You don't have because you don't ask. He's my brother. Trust me, you should ask more. (laughs) We're going to ask tonight. I don't know what I'm asking for. I'm just asking for a move of God. I'm not putting practical application. I don't know. I'm not asking for like, hey, God, have it look this way. I just want us to pray, God, have your way. Let it look like what you want it to look like. We don't know. This is our upper room tonight. We just know there's a whole lot of promises. There's a whole lot of promises, and we want to see them fulfilled. Biblical promises that happen when people pray. I'm not talking about like, you know, like, I'm talking about biblical promises that take place when the tribe that follows Jesus gets on their face. Where are the intercessors? They're right here. You guys, you're doing it. You're doing it faithfully. Tonight, I want us to focus it for a few minutes. Let's just focus on revival. Will you come on up here? I'm just going to lead you in a short prayer. of God. God, we live with an ache in our heart for more of you. For all of you. And tonight, this little tribe of people, without much assurance, much understanding of what future days will hold. We come before you and we ask for an authentic move of God. God, God, I pray that over the years ahead, not because of our diligence, but because of your faithfulness, that we would see far beyond what we could ever hoped or imagined. Come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Colorado Springs. In this church. Among us.
You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.